Well, hello, everyone. So I already got to do this the first service, so all the nerves have been washed off. So uh, hopefully I won't blow it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, funny story, uh, the other week, uh, my father asked me, you know, since Robert was out, would I like to preach? And I had to think about it for a second, not because I was nervous or I didn't feel like I could do it, but man, addressing such important and wise people of the church is a difficult task. And so I didn't want to screw that up and y'all not tithe anymore. So I want to, <laughs> I hope that y'all like what we got going on. And if it means that I get a preach and Robert's out, I think he should be out every week. So that was exciting to hear. Um, but today on all seriousness, uh, I do thank you for the encouragement and the blessings uh, that you have given me uh, my way this week for those who've known that I've been, uh, will be speaking. So I thank you for praying and encouraging me in that way. And I pray uh, today that I will also be able to encourage you and inspire you with the question of who will speak. Let's watch this video real quick. All of mankind is crying. What must we do to be saved? Please save us economically. Save us. Families are concerned whether they can make it or not. We have tremendous deficits. Save us from terrorism and lawlessness. Crime, it seems to be everywhere. What must we do to be saved? Save us. People are lost without Christ. Do you see people every day separated from God with empty hearts, searching for something they don't know what it is? That ought to give us a new urgency. Our love for others is not just an emotional feeling. It is a concern which leads us to action. The words of Jesus challenged me as never before. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields that are already white in the harvest. I'm convinced that the greatest act of love we can ever perform for another person is to tell him about God's love for him in Christ. One message, Christ sent him crucified and risen again. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. See, we have this question that is out there. Maybe you don't recognize it yet, or maybe you never had it, but in the back of your mind should always be the question of who will speak. See, we have this message of Christ. We have this gloryful message that we can uh, pronounce to these unbelievers, but the question is not when should we do it, but is who will do it. See, in my life, I know that many opportunities have gone by when I have not spoken, whether it was earlier in my life or recently, where I've not spoken of the, the glories of Christ. And I wonder to that person that I had the opportunity to, to, to speak to, is what's up with their life now? Or I know for our youth, we've had a terrible summer this past summer, as many of our young people have passed away in different schools around this community. And I always wonder, did they know the message of Christ? And if they didn't, whose fault is that? And I don't want to start off and be all dramatic and, and down, but I do want to pose the question to you today, and hopefully by the end of the sermon, you'll be able to answer who will speak. 
But the first thing we need to hit on is not who will speak, it's why do we even need to? See, we as believers in Christ are called to be witnesses. Jesus said, Jesus said it best right before he ascended into heaven. In Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. See, I can imagine these disciples are sitting there. Now, Jesus has already died on the cross. Uh, he's already risen from the dead and now he's showing himself to the people and he's finally with the disciples right before he ascends into heaven. And he brings this big task of that you will be my witnesses in all of this country. And for us today, this kind of translates into as Jude, uh, Jerusalem is kind of the community and our neighbors around us. And Judea is like the nation that we live in and Samaria would be the world. And so they have this huge task of taking the, the gospel of Christ out into as far as they can go, whenever they can go. And so I'm sure they're sitting there like, how in the world are we gonna do that? Or maybe yourself is like, yeah, I have a bunch of coworkers and a bunch of family or people that I just run into daily that don't know Christ, but how in the world am I going to do that? But as Christ says in Acts 1.8, we don't have to worry about how we're gonna do that because he says that when we receive the Holy Spirit, then you will be my witnesses. See, sometimes we forget that our responsibility is, yes, of course, to bring the gospel, but it is not our responsibility to come up with the words that we will say. See, we've got to remember that the Holy Spirit will be with us now and forever. And he is the one who will provide the words that we need. See, we have to go out of our way to make him known. Not just here in our community, not just to your neighbors, but also into this world. We have to go out of our way to do whatever we can to bring the non-believers that we know to Christ. See, just as the disciples were not to begin the staggering task of being witnesses until they have received the Holy Spirit, we cannot be effective witnesses until we receive the Holy Spirit. And then we got to realize that when we do have the Holy Spirit, when we are redeemed by Christ, that we are just the feet to carry the message. We are not the words that we'll be saying. See, we are the feet and he is the voice. Or how about in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus says, therefore go, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. See, Jesus instructs us here to just go. He doesn't say wait until you're a theologian, or wait till you've graduated seminary, or wait till you take religion classes in either high school or college. He doesn't say wait till you're fully qualified. He only says go and make disciples. See, Jesus instructs us to go. He says, go and teach them. Don't wait until you're comfortable or don't wait until you mastered the story. Just simply go and rely on the Holy Spirit to, to provide you with the words and to provide you with the people that we are supposed to speak to. See, but also Jesus comforts us again. As we see in Acts 1.8, he also says that the, he promises that he'll be with us always to the very end of the age. See, we can be assured that when we do accept Christ and we do receive that salvation, that the Lord will never leave us. No matter if we go home or to the next country or to the next world, that the Lord will always be with us through his Holy Spirit, providing the way and the words to say to the people. But see, it's not just how we're just called to be witnesses. Believers are also the light of the world. He says this very clearly in Matthew 5, 14. It says that you are the light of the world a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. See, although Jesus himself fulfilled the mission of the Lord's servant to be a light of the hope of the world, he expected the believers to carry on the work. See, it's clear today that Jesus is not walking among us. 
So it is clear today also that Jesus set the tone for what we as believers in Christ should be doing. He, he was here on earth through, and we could see throughout the gospels of how he lived the life and how we as believers are supposed to follow the way he lived. And we also see that through the gospels that Jesus never let any opportunity go to present his love to others because he understood. He understood that the love of Christ is the hope of the world and it's the hope of our lives. See, the light of the Lord can never be hidden. See, we as believers in Christ who have received the Holy Spirit we're like, a, like it says in the verse, we're like a light on top of a hill. And if you've ever been in a dark room and you've ever lit a light, uh, that's not the overhead light, just a little light, you can see that that light is the brightest thing in the room. It cannot be hidden. Even if you put a cup over it, you could still see the light because the light of the Lord will never be hidden. And as we as believers live in this world that is dark, that overall is a sinful world, we have to be the light. We have to be the hope. We have to be, let the Holy Spirit shine through us and so that people will be attracted to see they have something different and I have to have what they have. And see, when we have that opportunity, when people do come to you and when you go to people, again, we must realize that we have to rely on the Holy Spirit. So how do we become this light? How do we be this light? Well, we have compassions for others the way Jesus did. We see through Jesus' life that in many times in the Gospels and a lot of the miracles he performed were either after the miracles performed, he said he healed them either because they had faith in him or he had compassion on them. See, we as believers in Christ have to have compassion for the people that do not know him. And if we lose this compassion, then we lose this fire to take the Gospel out of this church and into the world. See, compassion is a key part because your heart should be breaking for the people that do not know him, for the people that will not be able to be in heaven with Christ and be in heaven with all of us. We have to be the light and have compassion on the people to pronounce the God as the glory and give them and try to give them the Holy Spirit. We also have to carry each other's burdens the way Jesus did. You can see many a times as the, the disciples weren't perfect, nor, nor are we. But you could see that as the disciples either messed up or they were burdened by something or they were tired or they were worn out from preaching and, and walking and teaching, that Jesus carried their burdens. He took them with them to sit in a quiet place and pray. See, we have to be able to carry each other's burdens but not get trapped in the fact that their burdens can also become on us. So we have to be the light of the world that's filled with the Holy Spirit, that has compassion with others, that carries each other's burdens, but, not, but be careful to not be dragged down by the other sins of this world. See, Christ knew that there was a difference between carrying each other's burdens and being dragged down and weighed down by them. See, as we experience other, other people that we are talking to and they, they share their burdens with us, we have to be able to pray for them, but also lift them up. We cannot expect to take this on on our own because we are not able to. Just as we are not able to present the gospel on our own, we are not able to help people, non-believers on our own. It's only the work of the Holy Spirit that works through us to be able to do that. And the last and final thing to be a light, we have to live according to his word and allow him to shine through us. See, this book here is the guideline of how we should live our life. It is God, and we'll find out a little later. And as God commands us in his word, we have to take these commandments out into the community. And if we're not living by the word, how could we expect to preach the word? See, God calls us to do a couple things. That is first to be witnesses, second to be a light and live according to his word. And last but final least in this section of why do we even need to speak, it's a simple thing as the last one, is that if we don't, who will? 
We live in a dark world, a world that is okay with not knowing Christ, a world that feels like they're living the right path, whether either helping each other out or doing other things. But we know as believers in Christ that we have something special that you have to have in order to live the life that God called you to do, to live. And if we as believers are not taking this message out to the community, then who will? If we as believers are not taking this message into our schools or to our teams or to our coworkers or to our family, then how do we expect them to know Christ and be in heaven with us? They never will. We are the feet and we allow Christ to be the voice. If we're not doing it, then who will? See, the next thing we need to realize is is why do we need to, but also who are we speaking about? I think you know by now that what we're talking about is, is Jesus and Christ, but who exactly are we talking about? Because in order to share his love and speak his truths to others, we must first have a clear understanding of who Jesus is. To do this, you don't have to study all night. You don't have to go be a theologian or graduate from seminary. You simply have to understand and get a full description by reading the word of God. That is the place that we go back to over and over again. If we ever have questions or doubts or fears, we go back to the word of God and see how in other people's lives that he, how he fixed and transformed them. We can also go back to our Lord, our book and try to help and fix and transform the people that are out in our community that God is, is calling us to, do, to be to. But not just that. Who is Jesus? As John 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So if the word was God and the word was with God, then we must go to the word to see exactly who God is. See, it starts back in Genesis. And as we see in Genesis that that Christ is the creator. See, in Exodus, we see that he is a Passover lamb. In Leviticus, we see that he is the high priest. And in Numbers, we see that he is the cloud by day and the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, we see that he is a prophet like Moses. And in Joshua, we see that he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, we see that he is the judge and lawgiver. And in Ruth, we see that he is the kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, we see the pro- that he is the prophet of the Lord. And in First and Second Kings, we see that he is the reigning king. In First and Second Chronicles, we see that he is the king by birth and by judgment. In Ezra, we see that he is the faithful scribe. And in Nehemiah, we see that he is a rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, we see that he is Mordecai. In Job, we see that he is the dayspring from on high. In Psalms, we see that he is the Lord who is our shepherd. And in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, we see that he is the God and giver of wisdom. But see, in Song of Solomon, we see that he is the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah and Lamentations, we see that he is the, the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, we see that he is the son of man. See, in Daniel, we see that he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is the bridegroom. But in Joel, we see that he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he is the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty savior. We see that in Obadiah, he is, uh, in Jonah, he is the forgiving God. And in Micah, he is the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger. In Habakkuk, he is the great evangelist that is crying for revival. See, in Zephaniah, he is the restorer. In Haggai, he is the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he is the pure son. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. But that's just 
just the, the Old Testament. Here's the new, because in Matthew, he's the Messiah. In Mark, he's a miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the Holy Spirit and the ascended Lord. And in Romans, he is the justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he is the one who sanctifies us. In, in Galatians, he's the one who sets us free. In Ephesians, he's the Christ of riches. In Philippians, he is the God who meets every single one of our needs. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is the soon and coming king. In First and Tim- First and Second Timothy, he's the mediator between God and man. And in Titus, he is the blessed hope. In Philemon, he is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And in Hebrews, he is the blood that washes away all of our sins. And in James, he's a great physician. In First and Second Peter, he is the chief shepherd. In First, Second, and Third John, he is everlasting love. In Jude, he is the king, the Lord coming with ten thousands of his saints. And in Revelation, as he comes down in the feast of enemy for the last time, he will be crowned the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, that is who Jesus is. See, we cannot be ashamed or afraid to to go out and tell who Jesus is because he's a man that is full of descriptions. And in each and one of every your lives, I guarantee you that you have a different description of how Christ changed your life. So we understand who he is, but what do we say? When we meet these people face to face, when they come into our homes or when we see them in the grocery store, we see them on the football teams, what do we say? For most of us, it's the hardest part. But when we trust God to bring about the harvest, all we need to do is tell our story of redemption. And for each one of us, that's probably different. But you tell them about the time that Christ rescued you from sin, or you tell them about the time that he comforted you during a loss of a loved one, or you tell them about how he restored your family, or you tell them about how he brought you out of that depression, or how he was with you when you were alone, when he loved you when you were unlovable, and you tell them how he was gracious when you stumbled. You tell him how he was faithful when you were faithless. And you tell him he was merciful when you, de- when you deserve no mercy. So you tell him finally that he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. And we then be the light that's on the hill that nobody can hide. See, Jesus Christ is, is willing. He's able and he's ready. He's begging us to take this message of hope that we have and bring it out into the community and to the world. We just have to do it. See, we simply tell others how Christ has impacted our life. We allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and guide our conversation. We cannot forget that we are doing God's work. And since he commanded us to do it, he will be there with us. Now, this is important to understand that he does not call the qualified, but instead he qualifies the called. Do you understand that? He does not qualify. He does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And if you've ever received salvation if you've ever been redeemed by the blood of Christ, if you've ever prayed that prayer and asked God to come into your life and be Lord and Savior, you're called and he has qualified you. See, maybe there's someone in here yet that has not received this hope, that has not received salvation. Please don't wait any longer. See, God is here and he's ready, he's begging, begging for you to either come and accept him or if you are a believer, he's begging you to go out and speak his word. See, we got to trust that he will guide us and he will lead us and he will provide the words for us. And then there's nothing else to be afraid about. We have the hope of salvation. We have the message of the glory of God. How can we hide the sin? Our hearts need to be bursting. We have to be the light on the hill that shows that we are different people because we have received the Holy Spirit. We have gained that salvation. We have inheritance with Christ. And as we have people who have that, 
we cannot be afraid to share it. So for those who have not yet accepted it, as in the time of invitation, we, we, we ask you to come forward. If you've already have, and if you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, then we, like the disciples, we have this tremendous task and that we have to realize that through the Holy, Holy Spirit, that's the only way that this task will be accomplished. See, our church has, has gone on with this campaign of Billy Graham, the My Hope America. And we've challenged uh, some of you to lead a Bible study in your home that week in November. And so maybe God's laying some names on your heart or maybe he's telling you now, yeah, it's, it's time for you to do that. It's time for you to start uh, bringing the message of Christ to your friends and family members or your coworkers. And so I ask you now, as we start this invitation, that if you are one of those people, if you have someone laid on your heart, or are you asking God to lay them on your heart, that you come down and pray. We have this incredible task and we have the greatest message alive. And so I leave you with this. If we don't say it, who will? And as we close the pray. Again, I invite you down. A minister will be down front if you're ready to either join or accept this wonderful gift of hope and salvation. But if you're just wanting to come and pray, please be be free to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the words, for your message, and for your challenge. Father, we pray now that no one will leave this room without receiving the gift of your Holy Spirit, Father, without receiving salvation, without gaining that inheritance in, in heaven, Father, that we will all be celebrating with. Father, we pray now, Lord, that we will not be able to leave this place without you laying someone's heart, name on our hearts, Father, that you want us to go speak to, that you want us to bring your message of salvation to. So, Father, we thank you again for this day, and it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.